Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, we have Dr. Michael Gorin, who is one of the most widely recognized experts in childhood nutrition and obesity research with more than 30 years of experience as a researcher, mentor, and educator. Dr. Gorin, who is the program director for diabetes and obesity at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, the professor of pediatrics at the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California, and the co-director of the USC Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute. We also have Dr. Emily Ventura, who is the co-author and an experienced nutrition educator, public health advocate, writer, and cook. She completed her master's in public health and her PhD in health behavior research at the University of Southern California. She now lives in the UK, where she works as a writer, recipe developer, and mother of two young boys. Thank you so much for both of you um, for being here today. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having us on. Thank Absolutely. you so much. So your book, Sugar Proof, uh, The Hidden Dangers of Sugar That Are Putting Your Child's Health at Risk and What You Can Do, I cannot wait to dig into what you've written because I personally, as a mental health therapist, see and and mom and see how much sugar is a detriment to our children, to not only their physical health, but also their mental health, um, their mood and their behavior. So I would love to start by talking about the different types of sugar and possibly even ways sugar is disguised um, in different foods. Yeah, over sugar has over 200 different names that, uh, that could appear on an ingredient list. Uh, and some one of those sugars is in over 70% of processed foods in the grocery store and over 80% of foods targeted towards children have some type of added sugar in there, which could have one of 200 plus names. So it's becoming very confusing and difficult to, to sort them all out and be a, be a savvy consumer when, when, when the food industry has, is making it very difficult um, with making up clever sounding, healthy sounding names for sugar. Right. Right. And it's hard for as a parent to go to the grocery store and pick up items if there is a name on there that's not recognizable to them, if it doesn't actually just say the word sugar on it, or maybe high fructose corn syrup or something that you know most of us are pretty familiar with. If it has a hidden name to it, then it's it's hard for parents to navigate what to buy at the store. Uh, um, um, you know, about what you've written in the book, you know, what do you suggest for parents to go out there when they're when they're doing their shopping list? Well, yeah, I, th- I think to be, unfortunately, ha- having to be very careful, and I think you know, we all, we've all come home from the grocery store, myself included, 
uh, and realized that, that uh, we missed something on the ingredient list. So I think you have to look at not just the uh, nutrition label, which will now indicate added sugars, which is helpful uh, because that separates sugars from the natural sugars, such as from dairy or um, or pieces of fruit that are that are in, let's say, a yogurt. But you have to look at the ingredient list, and right. you can't just uh, look at something and it says you know all natural, sugar-free. Also, could mean it has some type of sweetener in there. Uh, so. You just have to kind of take a double look, unfortunately, at the ingredient list and look out for things like organic brown rice syrup, which sounds pretty good, but it's really just corn syrup, except it's derived from rice, not corn. Wow. Yeah, that's it, it's it's um it's interesting the marketing that goes on out there for children's products specifically, you know, for yeah. things that we're putting in our kids' lunches that we think might be like you said that l- sounded good, you know, the rice syrup. Oh, okay, that that sounds like it, you know, is a is a natural, you know, derivative of 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 some sort of, you know, natural sugar um that, that you more, might see in a, you know, fruit, like a fresh um apple or something like that. There's obviously, you know, a type of sugar in that and I think Many people think of candy, soda, and juices as having sugar, which is true. But in addition to hidden sugars that are in things even like marinara sauce, ketchup, cereal, yogurt, salad dressings, you know, I think a lot of people forget in addition that carbs turn into sugar and, you know, to limit foods, even like pizza, pasta, and bread. What what are your thoughts on that? Emily, I'm going to go to you since I know you are a nutritionist, you know, what what does that mean when, you know, in avoiding sugars, let's say, or minimizing sugars in a child's diet also includes, you know, things like avoiding some carbs. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, what do you share about in the book? Well, we try and take, you know, a balanced approach. And it's, you know, we talk a lot about just the overall um, balance of the food, you know, food that you're getting. And, you know, it is, you know, we do talk about things beyond sugar, for example, you know, thinking about how much fiber is in the food you're eating as well and protein and healthy fat. And, you know, so just a, you know, simple carbohydrate, like you said, wouldn't be, you know, a balanced, um, a balanced meal. So for the recipes that we, that we propose, you know, we use flours that are either whole grain flours or um, flours that are alternative flours that are higher in protein. And we talk about ways that you can, you know, increase the protein and fiber content um, and limit the sugar um, of what you're making to give your kids more, more stable and balanced, you know, level of energy and, and, avoid these spikes and dips and in, in blood sugar that can end up, you know, leading to both short and long-term effects. Right. Yeah. And I love that. I love that you um, have, I believe it's about 35 recipes. Am I right? Um, in the book um, that do not contain added sugars. And I definitely want to try, I've already looked into it. These are my top two, the overnight chia pudding cups and the no bake chocolate sesame squares. Those mm. sound Delicious and easy to make because I'm a really busy mom, yes. as we all are, and any parent is. And um, those just sound, like I said, delicious and also something very effective and quick and easy for someone like me to make. So, yes, we definitely kept that in mind. Yeah. Yes. We, we, we wanted to make our recipes really easy because, you know, as we're both parents as well, and, you know, we know how, how busy life gets and, you know, 
like Michael said, a lot of the recipes, your kids can make them, um, help make them when they're little and then, you know, come to make them on their own as a little bit older. Yes. And I, I, I love that. I love cooking with my kids in the kitchen. They love it. Obviously, it's, you know, it's part of our attachment style. You know, it's, it's a way for us to bond. It's a way to for have, you know, just really great conversations, you know, about school or life or, you know, whatever, as we're cooking in the kitchen. And I love teaching them how to cook. So it's a life skill that, you know, I think everyone needs to learn at some point. But it's it's great. It's fun. We like to cook in the kitchen together. So I'm definitely excited to try those recipes. But Going back to, you know, being a mental health therapist, uh, I know how sugar can affect a child's mood and behavior. Um, and I know you talk about it in the books. So I would love to take a minute and just talk about that. I've, I've worked with a lot of children um, with autism and ADHD, and I know you, you have a chapter um, specifically on ADHD. And I'll, I'll, I'm, not, I'm not a nutritionist. I know that. Um, but I've also, you know, educate myself and have read many articles uh, with research that shows a correlation with diet and how a child behaves. Um, this can affect, you know, obviously um, emotionally, uh, mentally, and you know, mood and behavior. You know, when things like dairy, gluten, and even sugar are eliminated or minimized from their diet, their behavior seem to improve. And I've seen it firsthand with some of my own clients. So in your expert opinion, you know, how does sugar affect children with ADHD and in their mood and their behavior? Yeah, there's not any good evidence to show that it's causative and showing that it's causative is actually quite difficult to prove that. We don't and we don't have the evidence of that. So I can't say that there's a cause and effect there, but we do know from research and from anecdotal reports from many, many people, as you've just indicated, that reducing sugar can improve the symptoms in children with ADHD and other uh, conditions. So that's just something you can easily try and see if it Im improves uh, the symptoms. Does it cause it? Uh, I don't know. I think the etiology underlying etiology is complex and there's probably no one single factor that can explain the etiology of things like autism or ADHD. But if those conditions are manageable with diet to a certain extent. And it may be different for different kids too. So it's just something you have to try. And even if a child isn't diagnosed with something like ADHD, um, you know, what have you found in your research when it comes to any child's mood or behavior when it when it um, when you minimize sugar in their diet? Yeah, we've we've seen remarkable changes in children's disposition, even from short term uh, elimination of sugar. And one of the things we have in the book is a seven day no added sugar challenge, in which we say. We give clear uh, outline and guidelines of how to take your family through seven days of no added sugar. And, and seven days is chosen because the research shows that even after seven days, you can get uh, quite significant improvements in some metabolic conditions like blood pressure, liver fat, and so on. But the most obvious improvements and changes are seen just with mood and disposition and energy levels, uh, which can come after a couple of days. Now, the first day or two might be uh, very difficult, especially if your kids are on high amounts of sugar. 
But in our experience working with many, many families now, after those two days have passed, some parents even say they hardly, you know, they have new kids, uh, kids able to concentrate more, kids who were falling asleep in class suddenly being much more alert uh, mid-morning. So I think there's just some remarkable evidence from from the benefits, and and, and the, the overall purpose of this is to is to reset sugar sugar cravings. The problem is. Or, you know, many kids are high on on sugar consumption and crave it, uh, but with a seven day elimination after that, you will crave it less, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to reset those preferences and reset those cravings. Right, it's fabulous. Uh, I'm actually going to try the seven day challenge with my kids immediately. If I can start today, I would. I'll probably start tomorrow or sometime next week because I need to prepare for it. Obviously, go to the store and get the appropriate things to to do that. Obviously, you know, yeah. preparation's a big yeah, I mean, one, right? <laughs> preparation's mm-hmm. big. I mean, you can't, and we talk about that. We have the detail, step-by-step uh, guidelines, suggestions in the book. You can't just show up. It's not going to work. If you show up on Monday morning and say, okay, folks, that's it. We're not doing sugar all week. I think you have to get your kids, your partners to buy in. You have to come up with a meal plan. Uh, we have all those details. And actually, in the new year, we'll be running a, a, a collective group-wide seven-day challenge that we've we've done uh, on occasion before. So wow, giving you more tools than what's in the book. Oh, fantastic. I'm definitely going to look into that. Where would people find information on that? Um, online or on a website or on your social media? Where would people find more information about when that starts? Because I think having that group accountability is, is very powerful. Yeah, we're going to be promo- starting to promote that shortly. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram at Sugarproof Kids, or if you sign up for our newsletter on our website, uh, then you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll be here, hear about those pretty quickly. But we'll be starting to promote that probably after Thanksgiving. Perfect. Perfect. Um, So what do you suggest to a parent? Emily, I'm going to come back to you for a second. What do you suggest to a parent um, if they say something like, oh, it's just too hard. It's not going to work with my kids. It's too hard. It's too hard to, you know, go shopping and get all those specific items Mm -hmm. uh, or my kids will never go for it. Or, you know, how can we help those parents you know, avoid or limit sugar in their child's diet um, if they already feel at the get-go that it's not going to work or it's going to be too hard for them to do? I'm glad you asked that because, you know, we were just talking about our seven-day challenge, but we have another challenge that we propose as well as an option that's a 28-day challenge that's gradual. So for families that feel like it would just be too extreme to take out sugar for a week, um, the 28-day challenge doesn't ask you to make any really drastic changes. It's just about you know, as a family, or it could even just be, you know, the, the primary, um, you know, person who's responsible for shopping and cooking, who, who does, who takes this on and just starts making really gradual changes over, over a month. And, you know, that can be something like just slowly starting to water down juice. If juice is a staple in the house until you can eliminate it, or, you know, if if sugary cereals are a staple, start mixing in other cereals and then start changing up breakfast to include some non-cereal breakfasts on a couple days a week. And just, you know, making shifts, um, that, you know, that won't feel too drastic. And, and some of these can actually happen without, um, 
without, you know, quote unquote consent of the rest of the family. I mean, if, you right. know, if, if, if mom or dad just says, okay, I'm just going to not buy juice, you know, or I'm going to buy it and water it down. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's ideal if you get everybody in, in the family on board, but sometimes those, those shifts can happen just by the, you know, simple purchasing habits of whoever's doing shopping to right. ease the family into some of the changes, you know. I love that. I love that there's both options. Mm-hmm. And I do personally think as a parent, you know, I obviously I, I do most of the shopping in our house and, you know, I'm very cognizant of what I buy at the store, you know, and I think that's in my opinion, I'm not sure how much you go into it into the book and I'd love to to hear your, your side on that. But from my perspective, uh, if it's not in the house, we won't eat it. Sure. There's birthday parties right. and travel and, you know, different things where it'll be probably more prominent, but on a regular basis, you know, when I pack their lunches for school or when we, you know, have a meal at home, I'm, it's, it's what I buy is what we eat. And if I avoid buying certain things, that's, I think where it starts. Would you Mm -hmm. agree with that? Definitely. And, you know, since we've received that comment from a lot of families that have done our challenges and they just, you know, just in, in the habit of just thinking, oh, I should just have some ice cream in the freezer because, you know, we just always do, or there should be some dessert in the house for, you know, when someone wants it, um, or wow, this is on sale. Maybe I'll (laughs) buy a couple couple of these or whatever it is. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's a good time to just sort of doing these challenges or it, it just makes you pause and kind of think, well, what actually do I want in my house and do we need these things? And and then, you know, once you sort of, if you do do the seven day challenge, if you do take things out, then it's a good chance to just think, well, what's worth adding back in, you know? Right. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I so agree. It's exciting in that way, you know, just is having the chance to kind of reevaluate and come exactly. up with some new, new staples for things that might have added sugar in them that, you know, no one really realized. And certainly, you know, a lot of times kids don't feel like they're having a dessert when a lot of these products are really sort of desserts in disguise. Exactly. I remember once um, being over at another home and they were offering their child lunch that day. And they said, you can either choose between chocolate milk and goldfish crackers or mm-hmm. you can have, a, I think it was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a Pop-Tart or something like that mm-hmm. with some juice. And I thought, is, are those the only two options? Like, where's mm-hmm. the third option? And she had come to me actually for advice. Again, I'm not a nutritionist, but, you know, coming for advice or how do I get my kids to eat different foods? How do I get my kids to eat, you know, more healthy foods, if you will? Right. And But I said, well, you you gave your child those two options that Mm -hmm. really both aren't good options if you want to go in that direction. So, you know, uh, you know, if you want to answer that, Emily, what your what your thoughts are and how you might suggest that to a parent. And then I want to talk to Michael again about um, sugar cravings and obviously some physical effects of sugar. But what you know, like I said, it's if if the parent doesn't buy those things, those two options wouldn't even exist first, you know, first and foremost. Um, But with those things are, you know, in there and, you know, you're trying to maybe pair preferred food with a non-preferred food. You know, there are some Mm -hmm. children that do have food aversions. They have sensory difficulties when it comes to certain types of textures of food and things like that. And you get into the habit as a parent to you want your kid to eat. (laughs) So maybe those are the only two things that child would actually eat, you know. 
Um, but do, do you go into the book at all about, you know, pairing non-preferred and preferred foods or, you know, for those real picky eaters that it's hard to get some of those non-sugary foods in front of them? It's a tricky, it's a tricky question, you know, and I know a lot of parents do struggle with that. And it's, you know, it's, I think it really depends on the exact situation because sometimes the picky eating, you know, can really be, um, you know, extreme enough that you probably need to work with a professional, you know, for some help on that, um, you know, independently. But in general, I think, you know, we talk about just, you know, introducing some other options and trying to avoid the the power struggle where, um, you know, I think it, it is really helpful to give kids choices and make both of the choices ones that are good, you know, and healthy for them, but give them that, that, that agency to choose which of the, the options they want. And, you know, in, in focusing not just on um, taking things out, but adding things in slowly can be helpful. Um, and I know a lot of the, the families we've worked with have done well with um, taking some of the pressure off, you know, just not, you know, setting some food out and not, not micromanaging, you know, and just, you know, if your kids are hungry, they will eat. <laughs> so sometimes it can really turn into a power struggle and it can be good to just sort of, um, you know, not worry too much if your child doesn't eat too much at lunch and then just put out something healthy at dinner and just, you know, keep, <laughs> keep offering healthy choices. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, you hear a lot of parents say, well, I just don't want my child to starve, you know, and but I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, and, and like you said, adding things, you know, she, you know, focus so much on the taking away portion of it, but adding mm -hmm. more healthier foods just for them to get used to the smell, the sight, the texture, you know, and, and all of those things. But Michael, I want to talk a little bit. You brought it up a, a little while back about sugar cravings. Um, and I, I, I believe I read that a child who possibly is constantly hungry could be a sign of being addicted to sugar. But what are some other signs that parents can look out for in their child who might have an addiction to sugar or might be having too much sugar in their diet? Yeah. Uh, so we get this question a lot. Is sugar addictive? And it's, it's a very loaded question. Sure. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to say for sure that it is addictive or it's not addictive. But what we do know is that uh, the criteria for addiction seem quite readily apparent when it comes to sugar. So, for example, a criteria for addiction is something that's difficult to give up or something that when you do try to give it up, you have... Um, negative side effects like headaches or fogginess and so on. So it's pretty clear that most of the criteria for diagnosis of addiction are indeed met. So, and um, I think the issue with children is more, much more complicated because kids are born with this built-in preference for sweetness. So there's almost like we're born with with this craving for sweetness and it's supposed to be protective and it's it's backfiring in today's food environment that's that's really the problem at a, at a kind of a meta level that babies and toddlers are are craving sweet food because it breast milk is sweet because it, it favors seeking out of good calories and avoiding food that had spoiled 
but we're not we're not dealing with those issues of food spoilage anymore. We're dealing with eighty percent of foods being marketed towards children having added sugar, and the more that they get exposure, the more that you amp up that craving. So it's 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 a very difficult um, issue, but it, it can be resolved. Right. Is is something like a child who is constantly hungry? Is that um, a sign that it's it's a, that could be a sugar craving? Yeah, it's a sugar craving or just a response to sugar. So what's happening uh, is that uh, let's say in your example, chocolate was it chocolate milk and uh, goldfish crackers? Goldfish crackers are the alternative. So what's going to happen in those conditions is those those both those uh, choices. Are, are, are going to produce a very high spike in blood sugar um, because they're rapidly absorbed and rapidly metabolized by the body, by the kid's body, and so they cause this sugar spike. And then the that sugar in the in the blood is drawn up into the body and used for energy, and you get a sugar crash. And when sugar falls, and it falls much more rapidly in kids because they're, they have, they need the energy out of the blood. Um, and it, when it, when when you go hypoglycemic, you get hungry, right? You 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 probably are familiar with being hypoglycemic. If you went on a long hike and you didn't bring enough energy uh, bars with you, uh, or you skipped breakfast because you were in a rush, you get hungry, right? And you your blood sugar falls. So it's a classic sign of hypoglycemia. So it's not so much necessarily the addiction. But it's a response to the rapid spikes and and subsequent crash. We call it the glu- the sugar roller coaster that's happening, and it's readily apparent after a sugary breakfast, for example. And that's why breakfast is important uh, because you want to try and stabilize that blood sugar level um, as best you can. Because the more you stabilize it, the more energy they will have throughout the day, and they'll 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 less likely to crash. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because in the book, you do talk about seven sugar proof strategies that work. And it starts with setting everyone up for success with breakfast. Um, would either of you like to share a little more on those seven strategies? I'll just give a, everyone a little sneak peek of what would what they would read in the book. Yeah. So let me see if, if Emily, you, you can jump in when my memory runs out. But, sure. So uh, uh, set everybody up with breakfast. Breakfast is such an important meal, especially for younger kids. And for reasons I just explained, you want to try and avoid as much sugar as possible at breakfast so that you can maintain this steady blood glucose. And you can do that by reducing sugar, by pairing foods, by making sure there's a source of protein, a source of fiber. And we have all kinds of tricks in the book to do that. For example, if your kid loves a bagel in the morning or a piece of toast, that's fine. It's what you put on the toast or the type of cereal or the type of milk, not chocolate milk, regular milk, not juice, a piece of fruit. I mean, very simple things you can do. Second one is just liquid sugar is such a problem. I mean, kids just weren't, we weren't designed to live and thrive off of liquid sugar. And I'm talking about sodas, juices, energy drinks, frappuccinos. Um, chocolate milk, energy drinks. 
liquid sugar is very problematic because of the rapid influx of sugars and the way it's handled by the body. That's number two. Number three would be... Avoiding <laughs> fructose. Yeah, <laughs> avoiding fructose. Yep. Fructose, and it yep. ties so, in, in exactly to what you were just talking about with the beverages, because that's one of the main, you know, delivery um, devices of all this fructose that kids are now getting. Um, Everyone's tuned into high fructose yeah. corn syrup, so you know about that, right? Right. We all know about high fructose corn syrup, but you know, food companies also know about that, so they're not using as much of it anymore. They've turned to fruit sugars. Uh, which again, which sound pretty good, but they're actually higher in fructose than high fructose corn syrup. Oh, so, goodness. like um, you know, concentrated fruit syrups are, are should be called high fructose uh, fruit syrups because they just have a lot of fructose in them. So, watch out for not just high fructose corn syrup, but fruit-based sugars. When you extract the fructose out of the fruit, it is very different than eating a piece of fruit. Mm, right. This is especially tricky, you know, going back to the, the first um, question you were asking, Kim, about you know, these sneaky sugars in, in foods marketed to children. You know, a lot of these products say fruit juice sweetened, and you look on the back and it says apple juice concentrate. Oh, that doesn't sound too bad. But actually, that's really, you know, it's a, that is a type of sugar that's very high in fructose. That's one of the, you know, top ones that you actually want to avoid, even though it sounds healthier than a lot of the others. Wow. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to navigate. So again, just yeah. going back to how appreciated, appreciative I am of you writing this book, because I feel like it's going to help so many parents, you know, just educate themselves on these things. You know, I was, I was eating a hot dog the other day. And, um, I, you know, put some relish on it thinking, oh, it's just some cut up pickles and, you know, whatnot. And, and it had high fructose corn syrup. And I thought, mm. oh, and I threw it away immediately. And I love relish. Mm. And I'm sure there's an alternative and more natural alternative out there where I can mm. probably make my own and whatnot. But it's just, it's so, and so many things of our staple ingredients or staple things we have in our house, you know, even like pancake syrup or things like that, that sometimes you don't even realize until later, even if you do have some education. So Right. Um, yeah, the, the, the people that market these, um, you know, things at the grocery store are very savvy to um, mm-hmm. do it. And it's it's hard to navigate, like I said, sometimes as a parent. But yeah, um, I just want to share with him to go. I know we're yeah. running out of time a little bit. I but- mean, what, so what Sugar Proof is all about really is giving you the tools to sugar proof your family. So we all, you know, we brought our babies home and we baby-proofed our house, that we sure. covered up the sockets, we put gates up at the stairs, we put kid-proof locks on the knife drawers, you know, these are all things we do. And now because of these issues in our food environment, we, we, we have to be very savvy and we have to protect our family and our kids. And that's what we mean by sugar-proof your house, protect it from all of the sugars that are out there in the food environment. Not to say, I just want to be clear on this too, we're not trying to demonize sugar or demonize sweet foods because there's definitely a place for it, right? Uh, What we want to do is try and make those choices healthier, uh, and there's ways to do that. Absolutely. And just to give everyone a little bit of a sneak peek, we won't go into much detail because I have a couple of um, questions I really want to get to before we end this 
is um, in your seven sugar proof strategies, you also go into more detail about using snacks to your advantage, choosing sweet treat, treat, treats wisely, set guidelines from major culprits, and work a menu like a pro. So everyone needs to get the book to read more about those. I'm glad we had a little bit of a sneak peek, like I said. But um, I, w- I would like to talk a little bit about some focal points you have in the book um, and just get a little bit of your um, feedback on it of how sugar affects children's physical health. Obviously, things with obesity, diabetes, even cavities, things like that. But can you go into a little detail? I know you talk about it more in the book, but um, how sugar affects children's physical health? Yeah, so really there's there's multiple effects across almost every organ of the body that can uh, be affected by uh, too much sugar. O- oftentimes, parents are probably just worrying about uh, overweight or weight gain or some other major condition. But a lot of these issues are what we call chronic diseases, meaning they're long-term, slowly evolving. Uh, For example, heart disease or type 2 diabetes. Thankfully, there's not a lot of kids. There, There are increases in the prevalence of those conditions in children, fatty liver disease would be another one. But these are all uh, organs that are affected by sugar in a very slowly manifesting way. And what our research has shown over the last 30 years is that that process, you don't just wake up at age 40 or 50 with risk for type 2 diabetes. The, the, the seeds of that are sown very early in life. Maybe even uh, in during you know in utero, so that's that's one thing. And the other thing is the research has shown that because kids are growing and because those organs are being built, uh, that process of healthy growth and organ development can be derailed by too much sugar. Um, a, and a really good example you mentioned tooth decay. So that's a really good example. Why do kids get more tooth decay than adults? And uh, it's because it can be traced back to sugar, but also it's not just the sugar. It's kids are eating more frequently throughout the day and generally than adults. Plus, the sugar causes overgrowth of bacteria. Those bacteria in the mouth produce acid. The acid affects the developing teeth because when teeth come through the gums, they don't have all the enamel on them to protect them from the acid. Uh, so that's why kids get more tooth decay because the developing organ, the tooth, cannot is not protected enough from the damaging effects of sugar. And there's other examples too. That's just one that's the most uh, obvious in terms of right. um, seeing the effects. Right. And, and you go into even more detail in the book about how sugar damages vital parts of a child's growing body. I know you mentioned the liver. Um, what are some other um, you know, organs or vital parts of their body that, that sugar can affect? I believe you mentioned the brain in, in part of it too, right? Yeah. Even, you know, we kind of touched upon this earlier when we talked about autism and ADHD, but aside, aside from those clinical conditions, uh, research shows that too much sugar in childhood can affect uh, academic performance, can compromise memory, focus, concentration, 
and reductions in standardized test scores, for example. Pretty, pretty good research supports, supports those kind of statements um, from, from literature. Yes, I, I mean, I yes, I've, I, you know, researched a little bit on my own about, you know, some of that and how much it can affect, um, you know, a child academically uh, in a learning environment at school, like you said, with concentration and focus, memory, um, and just their growing brain. I mean, the brain, as is, is we all know, you know, grows um, so much, especially in the first four to five years of their lives. And, you know, even even beyond that, you know, the, the, the body and the brain are still growing, obviously, into yeah. adulthood. And, and that means, the, you know, when the brain is growing, it's laying down synapses and connections that may be lifelong. So we call those critical windows of development where things are happening that might be uh, set, in, set in place for, 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 for many years to come. And when those synapses are forming uh, and are affected by too much sugar, then um, it can have long-lasting effects. Another clear-cut example is the gut. So there's a lot of interest right now in gut health and gut microbiome. Very obviously connected here because the gut microbiome is uh, establishing in the first few years of life, and it's affected by what we eat. So kids who are eating a lot of sugar, which is the number one factor affecting Gut microbiome um, after birth, beyond breastfeeding and formula feeding, is uh, sugars, and which can have affects the gut microbiome composition. And once that composition is set, it's there for life, and then will have life-lasting um, effects on the body. Wow. Well, I, I I love what I've read so far. Um, will you um, share, Emily, where people can buy the book uh, Sugar Proof? I've I've really enjoyed reading it so far. I've learned so much, um, and I'm looking forward to doing you know your seven or even 28 day challenge as well with my own family. Um, but where can people buy the book right now? Anywhere books are sold, um, you know your favorite online retailers or you know, bookstores as well. And um, you can find out more information about us on Instagram at Sugarproof Kids and Facebook as well. And Michael's on Twitter. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And I'll make sure I add that for everyone because I really encourage, um, you know, all parents to go out there um, or parents to be um, to read Sugarproof, um, to really set their kids up for success uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, academically, nutritionally, um, you know, for all the reasons that we know, um, you know, how sugar affects our bodies and our children's bodies. Um, and just to educate um, the information you have in your book um, to really help as many families as we can out there. So thank you so much for writing it and taking the time to be here today. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.